We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Partner, it is off season, but around these parts of town, it feels like anything but, doesn't it? Oh, there's no off season. There's no off season in the in football. Well, I'll I'll say this: the only time there's really an off season is uh, around the Fourth of July. That's our Christmas. Otherwise, it just keeps moving. There's too much news moving through these parts. Well, we look forward to that. And with that, welcome into the Vault a Podcast. Covering the Baltimore Ravens, I'm Bobby Trossett, joined by my co-host and partner, Sarah Ellison. Thanks so much for being with us. And we've mentioned this in the last week or so, but I think, you know, we should probably just mention it once more just in case you missed it. But, you know, we are pretty fired up to not only have one full NFL season under our belts as a podcast duo, but we're going to be doing this year round. We are committed and all in on bringing you daily content on all things Ravens. Of course, there's going to be some some weeks with with exceptions, vacations, things of that nature. But we will always have content. And, you know, I'm joking what I said off the top, right? Like, there's a lot to discuss right now, whether it's the offensive coordinator search that is ongoing and really heating up uh, every hour on the hour, seemingly or Lamar Jackson's future, or really anything in between when it comes to free agency and the draft process, which really both things are not that far away whatsoever. So just wanted to mention that though, Sarah, because you know, I think some folks were wondering, you know, what are we going to get from you in the offseason? Well, we're going to try and give you everything that we gave you and more uh, during the season. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about this offline. You know, I wrote Late for work, which was a daily column, year round. Uh, I think I took a day off for Christmas, and then, like I said, that one week I think we usually took off for, for the Fourth of July. Um, there will be nonstop content, and um, I think once the Super Bowl is finished, you know, in a couple weeks, the Ravens are going to be front and center for national media, because when you have <laughs> A sensation like Lamar Jackson, who um, it will be continuing to negotiate his contract. I mean, that's where all the eyes will be. Um, but then beyond that, obviously, there's there's plenty of other things going to be going on, and you know the the combine, the draft, free agency, uh, trades. I mean, it's it's going to be a it's going to be busy. 
and uh, we will be here to cover it all. So I'm not even I'm not even worried. It's just gonna be like, can we can we fit it all in? There might be some more quiet days, but there's gonna be a lot of content. Oh yeah, for sure. You're right. It's, we're at the final four right now, right? We're taping this on Wednesday, the 25th, leading into conference championship weekend. So obviously, with the four final teams that remain, uh, the focus primarily is is on them and their quarterback play and and their chase for a Lombardi. But as soon as we get through that that February 12th weekend, you're right. I think uh, Baltimore is going to take center stage. So here's what we're doing in this episode. We haven't done this in a while. I mean, I know we take questions during our game preview episodes and whatnot, and of course during our instant reaction shows during the season, but we are going to do a Q&A mailbag here. We have read just about every single email that has come in and some and been submitted by you, but admittedly, we don't have several hours to comb through every single one of them. So with that, I'll just begin. And I know I speak for you here too, Sarah, you know, we just appreciate the engagement and the, um, the enthusiasm that we've, that we've seen and we have read every single one. So we did had to, you know, we did kind of have to, to, to be selective and go through sort of, um, you know, a process that, that grabbed as many as we could that, that, that were relevant to where we are right now uh, in the Ravens process. And so without further ado, let's get into this Q&A, Sarah. And I know you're going to start things off off the top. Yeah. So this uh, first one comes from Duncan Cameron. Hello, Sarah and Bobby. Longtime Ravens fan from Northern British Columbia, Canada. You have totally changed the way I can follow the Ravens from afar with your podcast. I am a crab fisherman. I'll just say my in-laws live off... Uh, the coast of Maine and my sister-in-law does uh, lobstering and she smells. Okay. <laughs> she smells. I can only imagine. She smells when she comes home from work, I should say. I mean, obviously after that, so I can only imagine Duncan here, how he's smelling after a day of crab fishing. That's awesome. That's hard work. Good, good for you. But uh, Duncan listens to every morning. He says to the vault while on the water. I love that imagery. Bobby, by the way, hearing our voices yeah. out in the water off of the coast of Canada. Let's do this. Um, yeah. And he says, we appreciate the no BS content. My question is about Harbaugh's coaching ability seeming to slip in recent years, especially in 2022. Uh, he goes on for a while to say that he felt like John Harbaugh, you know, held on to Cam Cameron for way too long. And he felt like it cost the Ravens Super Bowl trips. He feels like. The same thing with Greg Roman holding on for him for too long and uh, should have made an OC switch at least this last midseason. So um, he says, I think Harbs is an amazing coach from a player and team building perspective and is hard to picture the team without him. But in recent seasons, game management has been beyond horrible. I think we have uh, I think we have taken for granted just how good this team is and that they can come into the playoffs with a very healthy defense. So my question to you is, can Harbaugh fix his ability to manage turnover risk, manage the OC, the locker room, bad play calling, trick plays, etc. Not seeing him even take responsibility or accountability for it shows me he can't start to solve it. Thank you from the end of the bar in Canada. I think we're going to be hearing that a lot today. <laughs> Thanks from yeah. the end of the bar. Um, so I, I think there's a long uh, history of people wanting to Harbaugh to cut his coordinators or coaches loose much earlier. Um, 
And they'll, you know, they often say that Harbaugh is loyal to a fault. So, you know, that, that may be true. I, when it comes to, to Cam Cameron, I remember being ready long before he, he, he made the move. Um, but not as early as other fans were. Um, I felt like he was, he held on to Marty Mortingwig much longer than I wanted him to. Um, I, I don't even know that I would have hired Marty, Marty in the first place, but, um, and then Greg Roman, just cause that one's more fresh. I definitely had more patience than I think a lot of the fan base, uh, given how good 2019 was and then 2020 being a, a weird COVID year. And even with that, you know, still setting, uh, you know, records in the running game. And then 2021, there was just so many injuries that I was like, how do you even evaluate this man? Uh, but about mid season, I was definitely ready to move on. (laughs) Um, I think with Lamar's injury, that would have been tough to do. Uh, maybe he could have done it before then. Um, but, but anyway, I get his point in terms of locker room, John Harbaugh, there's, you know, maybe there's a handful of players that, you know, criticize him and didn't like their time here, but I think he definitely has a locker room always in it, like locked in to what, what is going on right then. I don't think he's lost the locker room at all. The bad play calling and trick plays that is your offensive coordinator. John Harbaugh empowers his offensive coordinator. So, um, so yeah, I think with the offensive coordinator change, you would expect to see those types of problems, uh, you know, play calling, the trick plays, the the schemes, everything that, you know, has been um, a big complaint. I think that that's how he's attacking it, is, is getting a new offensive coordinator. So, um, you know, uh, John Harbaugh, you know, is, is a confident guy, is a loyal guy. And can that be to a fault? Sure. Do I think that makes him um, somebody that I would want to move on from at this point? Uh, no, it does not. You know, the Ravens are one of the more forward-thinking organizations out there. I'm thinking about the analytics team that they have set up on their staff. And uh, one guy comes to mind specifically, young, bright mind, uh, Daniel Stern, about my age, Ivy League educated. And we learned a few years ago and when after they hired him, He's actually one of the guys up in the booth with Greg that on big, crucial decision-making situations, i.e. fourth down decisions, uh, he is in John's headset, essentially running through the odds, running through the chances, all the mathematics that go into the the analytic decision, the analytical decision, I should say, uh, behind, you know, like a fourth down call. And one thing I often think about, Sarah, is like there is something to be said about like an information overload. And I know that John has been very adamant over the years and honest with us when it comes to the knee jerk decision and the gut check, almost like the gut feeling that he has in that moment, the way the game is going momentum wise, whatever. So sometimes he puts the analytics aside and makes a decision based on how he's feeling solely on that. But sometimes I think to myself, like, wow, there's so much going on in your head. You're a human being at the end of the day. Is it almost an information overload? And has that led to pressure one way or another, whether it's listening to your analytical team or just making a gut check decision and throwing the analytics out? So while I love and admire how forward thinking they are and ahead of the game from an analytical standpoint, I wonder how productive that really is. And I I think that's hard to measure. 
Bobby, can you clarify? I mean, the way you explain that, and maybe you're right, so I just want to make sure I've got the, this, this down. The way I envisioned that before your ex explanation was you've got an analytics guy, he's crunched the numbers, and it takes him three seconds to say, analytics say in this situation to go for it. And then he cuts out. What, what do you mean that he's running through the numbers? I may have exaggerated a little bit. You're right. I'm, okay. Hopefully it's clear and concise. I mean, yeah. I hope that he's not, like, you know, yeah, running I think through. He's got a computer and he's like, okay, we're the ball's here. We Here's the situation. This that can put it in and then boom, here's the analytics. Analytics say to go for it 60% of the time or analytics say don't go for it 40% of the time or whatever. I imagine that that cannot take more than three to five seconds of, of communication. You, you would hope so. You got me thinking right now, though. Man, it would be great to get Stern on here to actually specifically walk us through the process, you know? So, yeah, I may have exaggerated that a little bit, but it, it is another layer of information that he gets. And and hopefully, I mean, hey, it's I'm sure it's useful. He, he's, he's proven that it can be useful. Uh, but I do wonder if, if that kind of muddies the water a little bit when it comes to um, Duncan's overall point here about game management. Oh, yeah. Well, game management, I don't know if he's talking about cl clock management. Maybe he is talking about when to go it on, on fourth down and all that. Um, and I mean, Harbaugh had a great streak of going for it on fourth down for, for a couple years. And, and it did get to the point this year where I was like, he's just putting confidence in his offense when they're showing him that they can't put confidence in him uh, or in them. So, um, so I don't know that it's – I definitely think they definitely look at analytics for sure. Um, but I also think it's, it's also a mentality that Harbaugh has that it's like, I'm going to show trust in my offensive players, uh, especially if Lamar Jackson's on there, but he, he did even when he's not, it's a mentality of being aggressive and not wanting to play to not lose kind of a, kind of a deal. So, um, but yeah, I think once there was enough evidence this season that they weren't converting on those, that maybe he could have been a little bit more conservative. He definitely got to a point too, where I can remember the press conference vividly, you know, and he had an attitude and a little bit of edge to him when he was asked about it. And he's like, well, at this point, maybe we're going to have to go back to the drawing board, you know, and, mm -hmm. and stop the aggressiveness because we just have not had success when it comes to converting right. on fourth down. And from there on out, you really never saw it, um, you know, and, and at least as consistently as it once was for him. Right. So it was more uh, in the traditional sense of when the game was on the line. It's like, okay, we exactly. kind of have to go for it. Yeah. Exactly. Question number two, submitted by Brent Vanderhart. Uh, he says, Bobby, I watch almost all your videos and live feeds. Appreciate you. believe that's probably over on YouTube. Uh, love them. Keep doing great work. It seems like you want to keep Lamar here. So do I. And believe that he will get the franchise tag. I do think there is some bad blood in the locker room, though, with how the season ended and Lamar not coming back from injury. Uh, by the way, this was this was submitted before sort of the locker room clean out and guys backed him. And I know we've covered that extensively on here. So just want to make sure that, uh, you know, that we, that we date this. Cause I think Brent probably wouldn't have written that if, if, if it, you know, had been submitted after that. But anyway, he goes on to say, uh, that being said, my question is what about using the non-exclusive franchise tag, which would allow other teams to make offers for Lamar, but give the Ravens the ability to match meaning keeping him here or pass, which would get us, two first round picks for him. He's asking, I like this option because it kind of allows Lamar to see what other teams are willing to do. And I believe the Ravens would match the offer. 
I think this would show Lamar that the Ravens have been offering a fair contract and that whatever he's looking for might not be out there. I also believe that this is the best way to get him to play rather than just tag him and having him sit out. Then at worst, came to worst, uh, and he, we didn't get him. At least we get two first-round picks out of the deal. Love the shows and videos. If you have time and one of them to address the non-exclusive tag, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts, and I think it would give other fans out there another option to think about that uh, that they might not know is a possibility. So I guess first and foremost, the non-exclusive tag, is, generally speaking, is, is more cap-friendly for teams uh, based on the pure numbers. I think it comes in around 30 to 35 million based on the season. Uh, it's probably not feasible though, if Baltimore believes to, and, and this is kind of to, to Brent's point here, if Baltimore believes it can get more than two first round picks for Lamar, then it's probably not feasible. It, you know, we would expect Sarah that the Ravens would want to use the exclusive franchise tag because yes, it has a higher price tag, but that allows the team to control trade talks. And I feel like that's most important uh, given the scenario that we're in right here. Yeah, I definitely see the point here where it's like, let Lamar um, go out and test the market a little bit. And I remember Ray Lewis. I remember Ozzie Newsom kind of doing that with Ray Lewis. And uh, things got a little bit crazy there. It was, it was right before Ray Lewis's last contract with the team. And, I, you know, Ozzy gave him an offer and Ray, Ray didn't like it. I remember Ray being on ESPN and talking big. And I was like, I just remember being like, this is weird to see like Ray and Ozzy kind of, you know, go head to head here in, in contract negotiations. And then uh, Ray went out to the market, <laughs> didn't like what he saw. And then he ended up, you know, signing with the Ravens. And so, um that's often, you know, if you can't come to a deal, it's like, all right, well, we think we're given a fair offer. So, you know, go out and try to, to uh, negotiate with somebody else. But I agree with you, Bobby, that um, the Ravens can't afford to do that because I think Lamar Jackson is worth way more than two first round picks. And if somebody gives him, hap happens to give him a fully guaranteed contract, I mean, all it takes is another Cleveland. I mean, would Jets do it? Maybe would, would you know, Houston do it? Maybe. Would the Falcons do it? Maybe. I mean, these guys are, you know, are all known to just, you know, throw caution to the wind and, and let's go. So, um, so I think Lamar's worth more than that. Maybe you could do something in between when you have an exclusive franchise tag and you're still not able to come to an agreement, then you can give permission with that exclusive tag and say, all right, well, I give you permission to go seek a trade. And I still have the complete right to, to you know, say yes or no and go see if you can, you know, negotiate a better deal. And, um, you know, so if, if that's what you wanted to do to, to help him, you know, maybe realize another offer wouldn't be as good. But I don't know. Something tells me that Lamar could get a fully guaranteed contract out there. So um, so so I don't know that I would want to open that door for Lamar because I, I do think he could find a fully guaranteed contract with an owner out there somewhere. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just to kind of reiterate some numbers that we've been throwing around in recent weeks, uh, you know, this exclusive tag, Sarah, in the year that is 2023 is no joke. It is steep and it's significantly more money than Lamar has earned through now five years in the NFL, you know, um, or, you know, at least 
it's 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 significantly more than than what he's earned per season over his five years in the NFL. Yeah. It's projected at forty five point four million. And the issue for the team right now is they have a little over. And of course, this is where EDC comes in with his plan. The front office is it's about to get this is about to be EDC and his and his team's Super Bowl, as they often say, right? Leading up to the draft, leading up to free agency. They're crunching numbers. They're looking at their plan. They're looking at their budget. But the issue for the Ravens right now is they have a little over $40 million in salary cap space, and they need to be under the cap, under the cap at the start of the new league year, which is beginning March 15th. So uh, there's going to be some names out there. Don't be surprised if they end up as cap casualties, you know, and I know we're going to get into this in, in the coming weeks for sure, but, you know, names that, that come to mind there that that are still under contract with this team, but, you know, uh, could be in that window or, you know, the, the Chuck Clarks of the world and maybe even the Calais Campbells, Gus Edwards. So it's uh, we'll be revisiting this for sure. You know, we need to get Brian McFarland on here and do like a full roster and cap breakdown. That's what we need to do. We'll have to do that. Yeah, that's funny. Weeks. You know, it's funny you bring that up is uh, he and I were texting last week and and then just the, the end of season press conference, we kind of got absolutely, you know, just flooded by that. And, uh, and and I was like, hey, you know, we'd love to have you on. Let's do it. And he's more than interested. It's just about circling up with him. So we'll definitely do yep. that. And if you don't follow Brian McFarland, a Raven salary cap guru, everything you need to know about the team monetarily wise, roster building wise, then definitely do it. Um, by, by just popping on to, to Twitter. It's it's Raven's salary cap, I believe. So that's his at, right? Yeah, it's uh yeah, at Raven's salary cap. Exactly. All right. Next up. All right. Next one. Here we go. Palmer Gr- Grigsby. Ooh, I like that name. All right. Hello, Bobby and Sarah. I hope y'all have a great off season. Without a doubt, you all have provided some amazing content and it's been a morning ritual to listen to you both. Thank you, Palmer. Uh, thank you for really putting forth the effort and sacrificing sleep to do so. My question is, I don't know if I can be, I don't know if it can be answered, but why are the Ravens, here's the same one, so reluctant to make changes? The fan base has been, as seen Roman, isn't the OC for us yet. We've kept him around for, around for, I think this is an earlier one too. They kept him around the whole season. How many times are we going to see Gus and JK not get the rock when it's obvious they should? I agree with you there. We have a desperate need for a legitimate number one wide receiver, and we're not, and we've not made any attempt to do so. I have. Uh, we'll get okay. It's so obvious to all of us at the end of the bar. <laughs> all right. There it is. Okay, so let's um, let's from a big picture, it is definitely true that the Ravens um, they're not knee jerk. They're not re jerk. Reactions. That is not what the Ravens do. And I'm, I know that's not what Palmer's probably getting at, but the Ravens are like the Pittsburgh Steelers, trying to think of some other really stable, you know, franchises where it's like, um, you know, you, you stick by your man. We, we stick by our philosophy. We had, we'd studied a lot. We put a lot of effort into what we're doing. We came up with a plan and we're going to execute the plan. And you know, that's served them well. Whereas you see head coaches and GMs get circled through other organizations, it seems like once every couple of years. And that's definitely not where you want to be. So stability is definitely uh, the adjective that comes to mind with the Ravens. So 
I think Palmer is correct on that. But do they take too long sometimes? Already, I already addressed the OC issue in the in the last question. So then I'll move on to the to the running backs. The running backs to me that was a Greg Roman issue. I do not I do not understand. I mean, some of it some of it was that they had to slowly bring them bring both of these guys back as they were coming back from their their knee injuries. Um, but at the end of the season, it just felt inexplicable, inexplicable, especially in uh, that that playoff game. I, I I do not understand why you would not give Gus or excuse me, J.K. Dobbins a carry inside the five yard line when they had so many attempts to do so. I I do not understand that. Um, it, it just it just was a head scratcher for me. The need for a legitimate number one. Now, Palmer said the Ravens have not made any attempt to do so. I disagree with that. Uh, th- what the, Their attempts have been through the draft, and so far their attempts have not come to fruition. I know there's another question later about wide receivers, so I won't go too deep into that, but um, they, they for sure have not made an attempt to spend big money to get a legitimate, legitimate number one wide receiver. So... And that's, again, it goes back. They had a blueprint, and they're sticking with it. And that was that, you know, they were going to try to zig while everybody else was zagging and try to build a team that was run-based and um, felt like, you know, those big names weren't necessary, and instead they were going to try to build through the draft. So we will see what happens with Rashad Bateman. They traded away Hollywood, which was probably one of the best, more productive picks in the draft that they've ever had. Um, which isn't saying much considering the history. So I'm very curious to see what happens this offseason. John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta were very clear that they want to rebuild the wide receiver room. Does that mean they're going to go out and get the highest, you know, the the best receiver on the market? I do not think so. So I want to see, I want to see what a rebuild looks like when they've made it clear they've, They've, you know, put a, spoken in the micro, microphone, put out the, their chest and said, we're going to rebuild it. So I'm very, very interested to see how they do it, given all the draft picks they've already invested there. So will they change it up and do more free agency and or trades? And how much are they willing to spend? I'm just as curious as Palmer is and probably others to see how that looks. If you haven't already, we just put out recently – a full episode, a morning vault episode on DeAndre Hopkins and the prospect of of that trade coming to fruition. And we talked about you know, a number a number of roadblocks really that uh, that would prevent that from happening. That EDC would have to get a little creative on. So go check that out in the archives. But uh, next one comes in, and I'm gonna probably botch your name, my man. But so let me know. Let me know <laughs> an email or or direct message if this was just completely botched. But I believe it's like. Teme Tasahi, Teme. I'm gonna go with Teme. Uh, so anyway, Teme writes, "Hey guys, I love listening to you. I hope you guys will be having podcasts during the off season. Yes, we certainly will. Sorry if this is long, but would love your thoughts on this topic. There's a certain amount of Ravens fans that uh, want John Harbaugh gone, which I think is insane. I'm reading this word for word, by the way. What most of them go to is the fact that there's one playoff win in the last eight years." I tried to educate them, but most fans just don't remember. After we won the Super Bowl, we played Flacco, the uh, highest QB salary in history. Then Ozzie in the front office, who I love, had three or four years straight 
of uh, difficult drafting. He goes on to mention a few guys that that didn't hit in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. While obviously there were some some solid picks in, in sprinkled in those, he just went on to mention a few of the guys that did not pan out, like Rashad Perryman. Um, but you add that to the loss of Suggs, Reed, Lewis, and a declining Flacco, you understand why Harbaugh missed four years of playoffs uh, before Lamar. He also wants to know where he can donate uh, to the podcast. We're in the process of putting together a Patreon this offseason, so be on the lookout for that. But if you do feel uh, inclined to donate, there's a YouTube thanks button, basically. If you go over to the vault on YouTube and you want to throw us a few bucks, you can do so that way, uh, or you can do through through YouTube Super Chat feature. Um, on any on any given video that we ever release, but uh, I'm not sure if there's a really a, a question here, Sarah. But you know, I kind of want to dive into pick your brain a little bit here, just because, in all honesty, I mean, th- these years that that I was in Baltimore, but I was actually in college when when Tame's reference in these years. So, and I wasn't really covering the team as as closely as we do right now. I've never really asked you. Do you feel that Lamar Jackson saved John Harbaugh's job in Baltimore? <laughs> well, listen, this is what spurred spurred all that. I remember sitting in the press conference uh, where Steve Bashotti spoke. And um, that was after, I believe, the 2017, the 2017 uh, season, I think. And... I remember one of the first questions was, did you consider firing John Harbaugh? And Bashadi said, yeah, I considered it. And then basically had a butt and explained why he didn't. So ever since then, that's like the quote that people go and go, go back to and say, yeah, he was about to be fired. Sitting in that conference live, I feel like the, my impression at the time was it was kind of like, you know, did you consider doing this? And it's like, yeah, I considered it, but you know what I mean? It didn't seem, it didn't seem to me in any way that John Harbaugh was really on the hot seat. I've interviewed at length Steve Bashotti, sat in his office. It was all for my podcast. It was completely about the Harbaugh family and John. And, um, you know, I think he really, really, really likes John Harbaugh. and he didn't fire John Harbaugh and the next year he was there. And then obviously they had a good year with, with Lamar. So I I don't know, Bobby, for me, it's too simplistic to say that. I mean, did Lamar Jackson, I mean, Lamar Jackson is one of the main reasons why the Ravens have won so much in the last several years. No doubt. No doubt. Um, but I don't think Steve Bashotti sees it in such a reduced fashion where you just reduce it completely to Lamar Jackson. I'm sure Steve Bashotti, and this is, you know, also looks at the locker room. I remember talking to Steve and why he moved on from Brian Billick, and it was a locker room issue. He just felt like the defense had almost too much control and was condescending to the offense, and there wasn't a team. He wanted a full team. And I think he, Steve Bishotti has a feel for how the players feel, how the locker room is. I think Steve Bishotti looks at how 
you know, in 2021, then when there was injuries everywhere, the way the team still came in and put their heart on the line. And I think he looks at how when when Lamar Jackson was hurt this year, that, you know, the Ravens were still able to clinch a playoff spot without Lamar. I mean, obviously they only went they only went they went one and done. Obviously with Lamar, they've mostly gone one and done except for the one year that they won against the Titans. And so um, I don't think it can be reduced that way in Steve Bashotti's mind. I really don't. I get where fans are coming from f- f- with it. And obviously Lamar Jackson is, like I said, he's, he's the, one of the main reasons the Ravens have won so much since 2018. But I just don't think that Steve Bashotti looks at it through the same light that the fans do. I appreciate you expanding on that a little bit because, again, I – I'm, I'm bumming about this. We talked about it recently. I think it was actually in our, it was either in the end of season press conference wrap up or, or the instant reaction to the wild card loss. But the first year that I started working with the Ravens radio team in Baltimore was, I believe the last year that Steve Bashotti did his end of season state of the Ravens. Meaning it was after the, Actually, no, it was his first year where he wasn't a part of the state of the Ravens. He didn't hold anything, right? Because you said it his la- the last time. What year did you start? 2019. Yeah, no, you haven't seen him. No, you're right. You have not seen him in an end of season press, state of Ravens kind of press conference then. Right, right. So at the end of the yeah. 2018 season would have been the last time. And, and that, of course, was Lamar's rookie year. So I guess I just, man, I, I wish that. And I get it. You know, I respect his his privacy and he, he's the total opposite of Jerry Jones. And, and he allows, you know, he allows his general manager and his head coach to to, you know, do what they do and, and whatever. And he likes to kind of hang in the shadows. But uh, for someone who wasn't here, you know, prior to uh, to 2019, I just feel like I'm I'm missing something, you know, and you have such a relationship with him and you have such a pulse after, you know, spending 10 plus years with the organization. You know, I just feel like I'm lacking um, my fix, my Steve Bashotti fix. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I will just add one thing because I did say he really, really, really likes John and he does. But I remember one of the questions I asked him because uh, at the time, um, Peter King had said that John Harbaugh could be the next, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name. It was, I think, a coach, why am I, it was a Steelers coach that had been with the team for like, I mean, decades. And Bill at the Cower? time, Greg, Greg, no, it wasn't Bill Cower. It was like an, it was an older name I'm from, from way back in the day. Um, I'll, I'll look it up and find it. Anyway, I said, could, I said to Steve Bishotti, so do you think that, I quoted King, Peter King, I was like, you know, because he was so high on on John Harbaugh, and I was like, "So, do you think he could be the next, whatever his name is?" And I'll find it before this is over. Oh, Chuck Noll. And Steve is like, "Chuck Noll, there we go. Thank okay. you, thank you, thank you, thank you." I said to him, "Do you think Peter King's right? Can John be the next Chuck Noll?" And he would not commit to that. And he's like, "Well, listen, he's like, I'm I'm happy with where we're at, and I really like John." He's like, "But we'll just have to see about that." So, Steve Bashotti's a uh, a, a very, very, very smart guy. I mean, he made billions by being in the people business of knowing who to hire and, and fire. I mean, really, that's how he made his business. So, um, so I, I wouldn't say that he would, he would, 
you know, hold on to John uh, through thick and thin. I mean, he's still a results-based guy. Um, I, I just, I, I guess my point is, is that I don't think, I think that fans make it too simplistic that it was Lamar that saved him. And I think there's an argument for that, but I don't think that's the way Steve would see it. Emma, you see where you did? Teme got us off on a complete tangent, but good stuff. Yeah. And I'm glad we covered it. <laughs> All right. I guess that p- brings me back up. All right. This question is from Jacob. Hi, Bobby and Sarah. Huge fan of the show. In my view, the Ravens have a few different areas to attack and fix this offseason. Number one, player personnel, including contracts. Two, co- coaching vacancies. And then three, game management. What are three ways the Ravens could attack these points? And in your opinion, what would be most effective? Personally, for player personnel, my three musts are, number one, sign Lamar Jackson and appropriately restructure other deals to compensate. Two, fix the wide receiver problem. I'd like to see both in the draft and free agency if possible. I just don't see putting a rookie in the spot like that as a sustainable answer. And then three, find Marcus Peters replacement, even just developmentally. If you read this far, thanks for taking the time, and I'm interested in hearing your takes. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got it right. I would put the order that the coaching vacancies are going to go first. Um, We know that John Harbaugh is currently in the midst of uh, interviewing like crazy um, for the offensive coordinator position. According to Jeff Zrebeck, he was told, as of this morning, his article he put out this morning, that the interviews are already in double digits. All those interviews have not been leaked, so there's been some that have, but we're in the double digits. There's a couple of guys that will be candidates, but you can't get to until after the conference championship games. I'm thinking of Bobby Slowick um, and uh, Brian Johnson with the Eagles. So um, there will be more to come. Um, I think that this coaching search will be more similar to the one like when John Harbaugh went out to get Gary Kubiak, where he interviewed around 30 guys and took his time and really wanted to turn over every stone. Whereas last season with Mike McDonald, there was like a few guys that were favorites, including internally, but everybody knew he really liked Mike McDonald and that ended up being the guy. And I don't, I don't think on the outside there's a, there's a favorite. And I think if he does end up interviewing closer to 30 people, there then that shows that there wasn't a favorite. So anyway, coaching vacancy will be number one. And uh, I think that'll be resolved in the next couple of weeks. We may have to wait to see if there's a coach that he wants from one of these teams that are still playing. So that could prolong it, but I don't think it's going to drag on for, for too much longer beyond the Super Bowl. Um, player personnel, you're absolutely right. Jacob Lamar Jackson is number one. I'll just say this. If, if a deal cannot get done, and if there's going to be a trade, it needs to happen before the draft. It needs to happen before the draft because you have to know, you know, Bobby, we're still going to do a vault at some sometime on this with with the 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 uh, mock drafts that are going around, and some people are projecting the Ravens picking a quarterback at 22. I really hope that's not the case. If the Ravens need to use a first-round pick, I hope it's because they've already made a decision <laughs> of whether or not Lamar Jackson's going to be here. And, and if that's the case, then you need to have a much higher pick than, than 22. You want to get a lot of assets to try to like rebuild without, without Lamar Jackson. So, um, if there's going to be a trade this season, I would think it would happen before the draft. Otherwise let's get, I mean, they just, 
I'm, I'm tired of it. I just want, I just want them to figure it out one way or the other. I just don't want to keep covering it. And then I agree with the wide receiver problem. I think the Ravens could re-sign Marcus Peters on a cheaper deal. I'd actually like to see that uh, and then still attack it through the draft. Like to me, the most Ravens draft ever would be to pick a cornerback at number 22. So I think Jacob, I think you're right on. Maybe the order's a little bit different, but um, I mean, that's it. Cause I mean, really the Ravens are mostly stacked outside of wide receiver and cornerback. I'm not stacked is not the right word, but solid and, and pretty much ready and just need to be polished. So it's wide receiver and cornerback unless they don't get things done with Lamar. And then they got a huge, a huge <laughs> uh, hole to fill. And Jacob made it clear too, that, you know, he's assuming that Marcus is gone being that one of his points yeah. is that, you know, we got to find Marcus's replacement and I could see both scenarios playing out. Obviously, I mean, we've discussed this a little bit uh, on on the vault in recent weeks. But you know, I man, I, I could also see them them parting ways. Sarah, you know, he was a little bit of a headache this year for John Harbaugh, and on top of that, you know, he he lost a step. And all year long, I, I kind of felt like, when's he going to get it back? You know, and it just it never quite came, and he, he never quite felt or looked fully comfortable out there. And granted, hey, he's coming he's not he's not young anymore for NFL years. He's young in life, but not in NFL years. And uh, so what I just I, I hope for Marcus's case, you know, for his sake, whether it's in Baltimore or elsewhere, I hope uh, he's able to kind of follow suit the way that that Saquon Barkley did, you know, the the year one returning from his ACL was significant it was night and day from year 2 you know, with two off seasons under his belt. So maybe Marcus is able to kind of, you know, mirror that process and, and build that endurance and an acceleration back because uh, from, from a coverage standpoint and, and, and yards allowed in coverage there, he was not, not where you want to be. Uh, I believe among the, the top five worst in that category for the 2022 season. So, you know, I think that's one, that's one of the more fast, you, you put Lamar aside, you put the ongoing, search for OC aside, that's a big story with this team right now. And and especially with, with how effective he has been more often than not since he was signed and, uh, or, and I shouldn't say signed since that, that big time in season trade went down in 2019, but let's keep things moving here. Next question comes in uh, from Tom. Hey, Bobby and Sarah, a couple of questions about the Ravens. One, any idea why JK Dobbins had so few receptions out of the backfield this year he didn't have a ton in 2020, but this year he had almost none. Was that related to his recovery or just a coaching decision? When he was throwing the ball, he was very effective. Two, to what do you attribute uh, all the Lamar hate to? It's not just locally, but nationwide. He gets more grief than Deshaun Watson, and we all know that story. Lamar has put up impressive numbers every time he's out there and is almost always polite when he's interviewed. Thank you, Tom in Hamilton. All right, partner, we got a few questions to address here, so why don't we attack this thing together? But uh, I'll start with uh, J.K. Dobbins and his his lack of of workload when it comes to receptions. I mean, you got to remember he missed a chunk of this season, you know. And to Sarah's point earlier on, I think there was definitely some some management with him at times. Apparently, the management even leaked into the wild card round, right? Like, I don't know why they were so careful with him and and limiting his workload so you know you gotta you gotta remember all all this player you know every single statistical category for jk this year 
there's got to be uh, it's got to you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt because he, he missed you know a good chunk of time after that knee scope and and he really wasn't even ready to start the season Sarah if I'm not mistaken he wasn't ready till the New England game which was a few weeks into the season so you know um, got got to keep that in mind but but I'm with Tom I get his point uh, he and Gus are extremely effective and I thought you saw that down the stretch there towards the, the later end of the season where Snoop kind of started using them uh, in check down situations for for some good solid yards we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it. I don't really have anything to add there. Um, so I, we can move on to the, the Lamar part of it. Um, I, I don't know that it's true that Lamar gets more hate than anybody else. I think sometimes because we're in that <clears throat> fan market. I just remember feeling like Joe Flacco was always torn apart. He's not elite. He's not this and da-da-da-da. And then you'll go over to other fan bases and, you know, I mean – you know, people hate, hate on, I mean, quarterback is just other than I'd say even more than offensive coordinator quarterback is the most picked apart position ever. You know, it just, it is. And I definitely don't think people hate Lamar more than Deshaun Watson. I think it's more that Deshaun Watson, we all agree, you know, that, that, you know, he, I mean, his legal problems and all that. I I don't think there's much debate there. Like it's just all terrible with Lamar. It's, started as a debate on his on his playing style and then it what I think hurts is that he doesn't have an agent you know to protect him in the national media and the national media just kind of you know rip things apart but I just think it's I think it's Lamar is like this massive figure that nobody can figure out nobody can figure out and he's so polarizing and so the debates with him are nonstop. Deshaun Watson, I don't think is as polarizing. We can all say, you know, his his legal tr- troubles are skeezy and disgusting and terrible, you know. And so um, Lamar, it's more like, you know, just a constant debate of like, 
can he can he you know win a Super Bowl? Can he win a playoff game? Can he throw the ball? Can it? You know what I mean? And then and then he's just you know he doesn't he doesn't talk and he doesn't have an agent out there. So 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 I think I think that's what it is. He's just this ma- he's one of the massive stars at a position that's the most criticized, and he's extremely polarizing. But I think when it comes down to it, if people knew his personality and actually covered him, I think that they'd fall in love with him just like we all have. Oh yeah yeah. Sometimes like we as humans. We like hate something that we can't figure out or hate something that we don't know. And hate's obviously a strong word, but you know what I mean. And Lamar is such a yeah. unicorn in every sense of the word, you know, whether it's his his on-field abilities or the way he conducts himself off the field. And, you know, we have been dealing with a player and getting to know a player that is probably one of the most private, if not the most private superstars in all of professional sports. He's been in Baltimore for five years now, and I don't believe that Felicia Jones, his mother, has ever, has ever done any kind of appearance locally. I don't even believe she's done anything with the team. And if she has, it's been very preliminary, small stuff. So it's 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 really, it's extremely fascinating. And I think now, sometimes the silence, and, and this kind of goes back to what Rich Eisen was saying a few weeks ago with the whole injury situation, whether it was a negotiation tactic and yada, yada, yada. What did he say? He said, sometimes um, confusion and silence can lead to conspiracy theories. You know, when we don't know something, when we aren't confident in something, when we're looking and searching for answers, we lean into conspiracy theories. And in this case, well, it's not you know it's it's not exactly apples apples to apples here, but I think in this case, because we 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 really we really don't know uh, Lamar Jackson on a personal level. No one really does outside of of the folks within within the Ravens. I think sometimes you can just, um, especially the national media, yeah, you can kind of get trendy and lazy and and start to go with a lot of these narratives that have followed him throughout his career, but. Uh, what a fascinating guy. And and I, I I know we both admire and respect the way that he goes about his business, the way that he stays true to his faith. And um, gosh, he is unapologetically him. And that's what I love about him. He absolutely is. All right. The next question is from Lee Brady. Hi, Bri- Hi Bobby and Sarah. Love the show and your refreshingly honest and intelligent takes. What do you think the Ravens can do to improve their production from the wide receiver position? Coach up the talent we have, find help in the draft and free agency, or is the problem rooted in offensive schematics? Thanks. Um, So for sure, the offensive schematics did not help under Greg Roman. That being said, the wide receiver production issue has long preceded Greg Roman and his schemes. You have a 20-plus year history of drafting and probably the best on your resume is Torrey Smith, who never went to the Pro Bowl, had a pretty nice career. Um, but out of 20 years of drafting, you know, that's, that's it. And so... Um, that leads, and on top of that, so you're asking, is it is it coaching or developing them? I I mean, there have been so many different wide receiver coaches, so many different offensive coordinators, 
so many, you know, you know, consultants, all that time, type of stuff, where then, then I'd have a hard time saying, well, then it's purely development. The Ravens are drafting great guys, but all these coaches that have come through, none of them could ever develop a wide receiver. I have a hard time thinking that's it. So to me, um, to me, it's, it's, it's a front office drafting issue because that's what's been most stable. It's been Ozzy and Eric at the top and they go in and they will year after year find a gem pass rusher, you know, like Zardarius Smith, Matthew Judon. Um, year after year, they'll find a, a Chuck Clark in the sixth round or a Bradley Bozeman in the sixth round. It just, you know, they seem to be able to hit even in later rounds, and but they don't seem to ever be able to hit even in the first round. Um outside of some 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 modest modest um success stories. So um I don't know. I I I I don't know. I don't know what changes they've had in the scouting department below, you know, Eric DaCosta and Ortiz, um, some of the other guys that have been in there for a while, but to me it's hard to say it's not it's not a drafting problem. Like where's where's the eye now? Of course they're not drafting in like the top ten usually. And that's where you'll find, you know, these beasts uh, like a Jamar Chase. So they've never had that. But I still don't think that's really an excuse, given that they can hit on other positions either later in the first round or even in, in other rounds. So uh, I feel like it's it's been a drafting issue. And um, I know Eric DaCosta wants to ch- turn that around. And to his credit, he did take Hollywood, who was good, um, m- right up there with the Tory Smiths of the world. Um, but, but has to be traded because of the offensive schemes. And then I think the story still needs to be told on Rashad Bateman Duvernay. I think as a third, he was a third round pick, right? I think he was the third as a third round pick. Okay. Pretty respectable, but, but they haven't nailed it. And so something needs to change in that scouting department for them to be able to figure out what's going on with that position. Duve was a uh, third round selection in the 2020 draft. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Marquise Brown was a productive pick, successful pick, but not a number one. You know, he's just not a number one wide receiver. Uh, his body type. Neither was Tory, and he was probably one of the best. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, and so, gosh, you asked me the other day, you were like, hey, what do you want to see him do at 22? You know, you, is there going to, there's a big time cornerback out there on the board. You want him? I'm like, Nope. I want them to keep swinging at the wide receiver position. <laughs> keep on swinging, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. I I do not. Not at 22. <laughs> I just feel like, think about all the, the the cornerstone pieces you can get with a number one pick and how many times, you know, they've tried to do that in just the last couple of years and you haven't gotten a cornerstone piece. And so I'm like, ah, put it somewhere else. Unless... You know, we 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 did that scenario, which was, by the way, a completely made-up scenario about the Houston Texans, you know, potentially training for Lamar Jackson. We did that a couple of days ago. I thought it made it clear that it was completely a made-up scenario. Then I saw people saying, where did this rumor come from? Are they really interested? And it's like, no, it was just a made-up scenario for you to understand what Lamar Jackson's worth is, which is three first-round picks plus a few others, you know, plus maybe a couple second-rounders. So, um, but in that, if they had in this made up scenario, that's not real. If they had a trade with Lamar Jackson to the Houston Texans and the Houston Texans have the number one and the number, or they have the number two and the number 12 pick, I believe 
Okay, at number 12, now we're talking. Now I want to see you swing in a receiver because now you're talking about the, the beasts of the world that are clearly, you know, sh- head and shoulders above. In that case, I'd be fine with the wide receiver. But relying on on the Ravens to, to pluck one at 22, I've seen that song and dance before, Bobby. You have. You have. Oh, man. Yeah, that's – uh. We can thank PFF for that, I guess, for for those rumors getting started. Right? I thought we made it. You're right. I thought we made it abundantly clear that it was just a uh, a proposal, a scenario. But anyway, yeah. we will keep this thing moving. Steven checking in with his question. Hey, Bobby and Sarah. First off, hats off for building your media brand in Baltimore. Appreciate that. We're just getting started. Uh, your content is great, so please keep it up. Here's my question below. Let's assume Lamar is not back in Baltimore next season. Do you think it's worth trying to replicate what the 49ers are doing? Their team is primarily built around their defensive unit and their offensive playmakers, not an elite quarterback. With our defense, post-Roquan, ranked similarly to theirs, would it make sense to go after an average quarterback in free agency or trade and hopefully use the draft picks acquired from potential tag and trade Lamar deal this offseason to surround the average QB with as many weapons as possible. A lot in play here. And uh, obviously, you know, first and foremost, this has to do with, uh, I mean, we're just assuming, like Steven said, that that Lamar is not back here. So it's going to obviously, you know, this goes back to what we were just saying, that uh, that PFF scenario, the proposal, I mean, there's big time draft capital and play here in terms of what Lamar would command in a potential trade situation. So, Sarah, I mean, if you're looking at multiple first round picks and in Houston's case, if it ends up, you know, if they end up being one of the suitors that you're looking at two top 12 picks. I'm not sure a free agent quarterback while a Derek Carr, I feel, is like a plug and play type of guy. Uh, we got to remember that that this offense is still it would take quite a bit of an overhaul, right, to to bring in a non Lamar Jackson type and expect this offense to be able to function without eight out there. You know, we've seen what it looks like with Tyler Huntley. And yeah, he does have some similarities, you know, style wise with Lamar, but he's not Lamar and no one's Lamar. And so to, to think that an overhaul wouldn't be required uh and you could just move forward with a, a, a free agent quarterback to me is, is, you know, very, very uh, risky. And so I think if, if you're getting big time draft capital for, for 2023 for Lamar, you got to go ahead and immediately replace him with, with one of the top overall QB, you know, prospects coming out of the draft. That's just my, my initial thought. How about you? Yeah. I mean, one thing with the, the 49ers is they have a, a Debo Samuel, which is, which is pretty nice to have. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I've said this before. I think <clears throat> the Ravens have been successful and were successful before Lamar Jackson came around, right? And, of course, immediately preceding him, there wasn't a ton of success, but they did win two Super Bowls prior to that. I think that if Lamar Jackson were to leave, while it might not be immediate, I think in the long run, the Ravens will, will find a way to be successful again. And you've got Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was successful in college before he came to the Ravens. And I think that if Lamar Jackson were to not return to the Ravens, I think Lamar Jackson would continue to be successful. Okay. Now, to me, 
It makes sense. It'd be a beautiful marriage. Let's keep them together. We got a successful player and a successful organization. Let's marry him. But if they can't, I have faith that both will go on their separate ways and continue to be successful. Again, if you took that Texan scenario, which is really the best scenario, I'm just, it's just, you know, just the best scenario. To me, you're going back to those first four, four to five years before Joe Flacco got paid. Joe Flacco, to me, was an average quarterback who went on a crazy run in the Super Bowl. I mean, he played lights out. People will say that the defense carried the offense that year. It was a good defense, but I'm pretty the defense, I think, ranked like number 16 that year. Part of it's because Ray Lewis was hurt and he came back. There were so many injuries. I can't remember if Suggs was injured that year. But the defense was was like average that year. But the Ravens were so good on those rookie years of Lamar, I mean, of Joe Flacco's contract. So if the Ravens were to get a two and a twelve, and you immediately plug in your t- your probably top pick of quarterbacks, you're gonna get Young or you'll get CJ, and so, and then you can put around him the run game the Ravens already have. And then you do get at 12 a better receiver. You rebuild that receiver room. But, I mean, you essentially are getting three first-round picks in 2023. And then you're still, you know, got second-rounders. And then the next year you're going to still have two first-round picks and two second-rounders. I think that, yeah, I think the Ravens, why, why wouldn't you have optimism that they could build a successful team around that? Now, that's not me saying let's go out and trade Lamar Jackson because to me, as I've said before, this planet has billions of people on it and there still is not enough supply of quality NFL quarterbacks to meet the demand. So to me, you take the quarterback if you have him and if you can. But if you can't, yes, I do think that both Lamar and the Ravens will go on to be successful. The scary thing, too, before we... Just to put a wrap on this, the scary thing in that trade scenario is, I mean, this thought that a rookie quarterback, yeah, top five pick or whatever, would just come in and be Lamar Jackson is is just crazy. You know, it's just not guaranteed. Oh, no, he wouldn't. Yeah, it's just not guaranteed. Yeah. I mean, look at – and you hope your BYU boy gets his, his stuff together in New York, but <laughs> look at what Zach Wilson turned into through his first couple of years as a former number two overall pick. I mean – it's just not guaranteed to always translate. So that's just the risk that you take. No, to me, if you're not feeling Lamar, what, like I said with, with Joe Flacco, what I would, what you'd hope for is with all those first round picks and the defense and the defense already, you hope to get a Joe Flacco level. You know what I mean? And then who, and Joe Flacco is not Lamar Jackson, but you can be successful if you had a Lamar Jackson. I mean, a Joe, I'm so used to saying his name, a Joe Flacco level type quarterback with all the pieces around a Joe Flacco type, I think you could be successful. Yeah. All right, this one comes from Tim. Hey, guys, love the pod and how you are able to balance the highs and lows without getting too positive or negative about anything. Uh, that's what I really try to do. I try not to get too high or too low. Um, so thank you, Tim. Anyway, here's my question. With a new OC and the most glaring needs for Ravens obvious, which is re-sign Lamar a third corner with Peter's uncertainty and most clearly wide receiver upgrades, it seems like a tr- like a trade one way or the other is coming to upgrade the wide receiver core, especially with the weak free agent wide receivers available. Would you rather trade up in the draft to get a top 10 guy or we've seen in recent years or as we've seen in recent years has been a trend 
and guys like Chase, Waddle, Olav, Wilson, all having instant impact and being great picks? Or do you look at the trade market for a guy like Hopkins or possibly someone else who may come available? Looking forward to your opinions, guys. Tim. Um, all right. So I don't think the Ravens have the draft capital to move up in the first round to get, um, you know, a top wide receiver. Um, they have five picks. They don't have a second rounder. They would have to use future first round picks or set. I mean, yeah, I just don't see them having the resources to do that. So if you want to trade for a receiver, I think the most realistic scenario would be for a veteran. Um, even in that scenario, because the Ravens have so few draft picks, I think you're you're somewhat limited. But um, as Bobby said, we did a morning vault uh, this morning, which is Wednesday, on DeAndre Hopkins' buzz. And I kind of laid out in there the obstacles to it, which would be his twenty million base salary, which the Ravens would have to, um, you know, take on. And if you're franchising Lamar Jackson at forty five million, uh, I do not see them having the space for that at all. And I'm sure I could hear people saying the cap isn't real. Uh, the only problem is, is that you're a fan of a team that believes it is real. So you can continue to say that, but the team does not believe that. And so um, uh, Eric DaCosta does not feel that way. In fact, he talked just the other week about or when he had the end of season press conference that they planned for this day for them to have enough money to franchise Lamar if they needed to. He feels like they're in a good cap spot, but it's because they've been disciplined to do so. They do not believe in that mentality. Um, so for DeAndre Hopkins to become a reality, the Cardinals would have to do what the Bears did, and that's take on uh, some of that base salary so that the Ravens could have him. And then I think maybe DeAndre Hopkins, if he went for a second rounder last time at 30, has had some injuries, could go for a third or a fourth. So there's that. Brandon Cooks, I know, is out there. I mean, it's he's anytime you talk about trade market, Brandon Cooks comes up from Houston. He's a year removed from having back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, but again, we've got a salary problem. His, his is 18 million base salary. So again, the Texans would have to take on some of that there's Denzel Mims I feel like he's been asking for a while for a trade now he's on his rookie year uh so he's only a 1.3 obviously he's not anywhere near accomplished as these other guys I know he had a good rookie year but has been kind of quiet since um sounded like there was almost a trade for him last year but um trying to remember who it was somebody was trying to trade for him but they wouldn't give up a fourth rounder that the Jets were asking for I don't think that they're going to get a jet um a fourth rounder a year later so maybe you could get him for for a little bit less, but I don't think that's a name that moves people. I would really, really like this one. I don't know if he'll be on the trade market, Bobby, but Mike Evans, um, depending at what, what happens in Tampa Bay. I mean, if Brady doesn't go back and as of right now, it doesn't look like he will, whether it's through retirement or wanting to go, go place elsewhere. I mean, they like redid their, their salary cap over and over again to accommodate Tom and try to get, you know, Super Bowls, which worked last year, but didn't work just this, this, uh, this year. So, you know, Mike Evans, they might say, hey, we're rebuilding. You're awesome. You're 30, though, so maybe we'll stick with Godwin. And um, and if they rebuild, you know, maybe he'd be on the trade block. He he would only have a $13 million base salary, so that one you could take on a little bit more. I, he's never, Bobby, never had a season less than 1,000 yards. He's almost always healthy. 
I mean, I would love that one, but right now I'm just dreaming. Any trade, I feel like I'm dreaming any trade because I just don't know that the Ravens have the resources because it would take, I think it would take more of a player for player trade because I don't think they have the draft resources, but those are kind of the guys that I think could possibly be on the trade market. Um, I don't see it as super realistic, but more realistic than, you know, trading up into the top 10. And you also outlined sort of, it's not a huge massive market when it comes to free agent wide receivers that are out there, you know, but there are still some names like OBJ, DJ Chark, Darius Slayton, Juju Smith-Schuster, who didn't want to come to Baltimore a year ago, opted to go to Kansas City instead, Jacoby Myers, Alan Lazard. So there are names out there, but it's just not as big as as previous off seasons when it comes to, you know, big time names being out there on the free agent market. So anyway, we'll talk about this at nauseum over the course of the next few weeks so we'll we'll pit a, we'll stick a pin in it for now uh, at the wide receiver position but uh all right next up is joe from connecticut never mind we're going back to the wide receiver position <laughs> okay hey sarah and bobby my name's joe from connecticut maybe you can answer this question or help shine some light on it the ravens need a wide receiver even if they fire there and this was of course this was um submitted before greg uh, parted ways with the team Ravens need a wide receiver even if they fire their offensive coordinator they still need to prove that wide receivers uh, are that it's worth it to them coming here before any big time wide receiver would want to come here on their own so I would think it would take a year or so to come into fruition so in the draft with no second round pick and a major need at cornerback as well which we definitely agree there uh, how would we go about getting a wide receiver whether it's the first pick or if we use that first pick on a CB, how would we trade or what would we trade for a somewhat big time playmaking wide receiver? A third round pick will not be enough. And if we do uh, give that away, we will be left with rounds four through seven. So no second or third. I think we've covered this, uh, Sarah. So why don't we just head on to uh, Dion? Yeah, well, I look this one up. I think it's Dion. Oh, shoot. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Dion. But listen, we're uh, we're an over an hour in and I think we've hit the the point where we got more comments than questions, so we'll just run through these quickly. I think there's one question at the end and and kind of finish this up. So we'll just give Dion's general sentiment because uh, there's no question here. She says uh, or he says, "You guys are awesome." No, this is a she for sure. "You guys are awesome. I found I find your assessments and insights to be intelligent, insightful, and humorous at times." Sarah always says what I am thinking. I am a mom of seven, six boys, and all seven played at least two sports. So I've coached, coached, T-mommed it, or just harassed officials from Wee to college. So I think we have the same spirit animal that does sound a little <laughs> bit like me, although I no longer harass officials. I don't do that anymore. That, I left those, those days behind. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, Dion says, I'm sick about this season, but I did see our potential all season. Thank you, Bobby, for calling out the fair weather fans. Did you do that, Bobby? Did you call out fair weather fans? Oops, that was on my YouTube channel. channel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for calling out. Lots went wrong this season, but people go way too far from behind the safety of their screen. That's true. Next year, we will come back stronger. We have a lot of cornerstones in place. Then she goes through it. Roquan, PQ, JK, Gus, three-headed monster in Kohler, likely in Andrews, Joss Oliver. Maybe that's a four-headed monster. Uh, all the new rookies, except for, she says, Beatty and Armour Davis. O-line is strong. So this season is over and we ended it like we started shooting ourselves in the foot. So um, at the end, she kind of leaves it. 2023, where the team controls its own fate and everybody trashing them will be 
claiming that's my Ravens next year. And anyway, I don't have social media or YouTube. It's just too much negativity. So tell me how I can send you guys a donation another way. So we'll get that Patreon going. But uh, I, I like that this is one of those. I think Dion's right. Like there's a lot of negativity and I understand it with Giro and then also, but he's gone now. And also you want to know if Lamar's locked in, but she is right. There is a lot of cornerstone pieces here if you can lock in Lamar. Next up, Timothy Thomas checking in from Fort Worth, Texas. And by the way, next time we do this, we got to remember, you know me, I love my geography look and, and maps and all that stuff. We're still going to get to that map and whatnot. But but next time you email us and you can hit us up uh, by email at BaltimoreRavensVault at gmail.com. Let us know where you're tuning into the pod from because I'm always curious about that. But Timothy writes, best thing I did this season was come across the vault. You both kept the content fresh, optimistic, yet realistic with solid journalistic skill. Appreciate that. Uh, worst thing I did was believe the Ravens would be a different team come playoff time this season. All year, they, coaching staff in my opinion, showed us that they were willing to overthink, overanalyze, and overwork the team into losses pretty consistently. Four years of underachieving is starting to make me numb to the pain of being a Ravens fan, but your podcast makes me feel less alone and less crazy for seeing and feeling the same thing. In spite of the dark cloud that was Greg Roman all season long, your podcast gave me the ray of sunshine I needed most mornings. So thank you, and I'm looking forward to the podcast when you all cover the dismissal of G-Row this offseason. No question. Yeah, there, there, there was no question there, Sarah. But again, one thing that I miss about radio, and I think we're going to try and do more here in, in this venture, is allowing fans to you know i would do the post game show with keith and pete on, on ravens radio and at the time it was kind of like all right i'm sick and tired of of listening to these fans calling and complain but now that i'm like a year removed from being involved and we're doing this you know full time i'm kind of like yeah i sort of miss their perspectives a little bit so i'm glad we've been able to allow you know timothy and, and others to air their frustrations and i think we're going to find ways to continue doing that moving forward well, Beck has got frustrations, and this came in right after the loss, so so get ready. We'll do this, and then one more question, and then we'll, we'll head out. <laughs> Becca says, after suffering through the heartbreaker of a game last night, it's pretty fitting it was how the Ravens season ultimately ended. How many games were lost this year due to a lack of game management, horrible offensive play calling, and head coach and head-scratching personnel management? Take the Bengals game last night. Harbaugh was outcoached by Zach Taylor and didn't put the Ravens in a position to win at the end of the game when it mattered most. His dismissiveness with the media and social media followers shows how times have passed him by in a modernized NFL where instant feedback needs to be reckoned with. Harbaugh did stand by his QB1 when he kept putting it out there in press conf- uh, Harbaugh didn't stand by his QB1 when he kept putting it out there in press conferences that number eight's injury was day-to-day and never indicated it was as bad as it actually was to the point where Lamar had to tweet about his own injury to set the record straight. It's now the front office's turn to show the players and fan base that they are not tone-deaf to the criticism like Carbon Roman. No need to reinvent the wheel. Everyone can see you have the right players. You just need a couple star-wide receivers to complete the pitcher. Just look at how many games your coaches have lost for you this year. Do you want to continue being an above-average team who makes the playoffs but can't compete with the top teams, or do you want to do something about it? With the right offensive-minded, cutting-edge coaching staff, this team isn't broken. It's a hidden gem with Lamar Jackson as its star. Thanks for listening, guys, and as always, and for always telling it like it is. All right. 
Good stuff there from Becca. And we'll round things out with Dylan. Uh, Bobby said that the feedback episode is happening after the season. So I hope this is uh, read much later than next week. One question I had with everything going on in the league these past few weeks is what steps do the Ravens take to provide psychological support to players and coaches? Even outside of this week, and I, I'm guessing this was written. Yeah, this was definitely written in the aftermath of of Demar Hamlin's cardiac arrest. But the league is a high stress environment with a lot of young men dealing with this stuff for the first time. I know there's sometimes financial guidance assistance, and we saw the medical capacity on display during the Cincy Buffalo game. Uh, but psychosocial support is just as important, especially considering some of the worst cases we see off the field. I know faith has been a big part of this as well, and I believe the Ravens have a chaplain, uh, but I was curious if you all know about uh, anything about what support is provided in Owings Mills at the Ravens Under Armour Performance Center. I know there's a staff in place, Sarah, but that's that's about all I have. Yeah, so they have um, Dr. Trish, uh, a team psychologist, and then um, Dylan mentioned the faith, and there is a team chaplain, Johnny Shelton. And, um, and I do know when, um, DeMar Hamlin, when that first happened, um, the Ravens had offered, uh, to all the players, um, Dr. Trish had a kind of like open team meeting if they, if they wanted to participate, if they felt like they needed to. Um, and then obviously they can reach out one-on-one. And then I do know that, I mean, Johnny, Johnny Shelton, I know a lot of people, a lot of players lean into that. They have services, you know, on the road or even at home in the, in the, in the team hotel room. And, and yeah, there are, there are a lot of people of faith in that Ravens locker room. And, uh, and, uh, you know, Justin Houston is one that first comes to mind. I mean, Lamar is constantly tweeting about his faith, you know, John Harbaugh constantly talks about it. So, so yeah, they do, they do provide that. I, I'm not aware of any player. I mean, I know that, you know, lots of players were, were asked about it. And, um, and then you had some guys like uh, Marlon Humphrey, who it just really didn't, didn't like, obviously he had compassion and, and, and his heart went out to, to DeMar Hamlin. But in terms of the, his mentality, he just didn't even skip a beat. He was like, you just can't think of it that way. And then I'm sure there's other guys that were not like him and just made them think about, you know, their mortality and how violent and, and dangerous the game is. But to my knowledge, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear, um, not that they would come out and, and blast it, but I don't remember hearing about any player, um, uh, it affecting them, you know, to the point where they just felt like it was, it was, you know, um, too, too hard to overcome, but who knows what goes on inside of there, which is why they have Dr. Trish and, and Johnny Shelton. So that is what's kind of provided inside of there. And then those two, those two can also provide more resources outside of themselves. If, if, if some of these players need more help. Well, that'll do it for our Q and a mailbag episode. I'm sure it's not the last time we'll do something like this. It is the first time this off season, but I'm sure it's, it's definitely not the last. And in terms of what's still to come, just got an email and I wanted to, this is kind of happening on the fly here. Uh, but Sarah, you and I are going to have, let's see here. Let me just make sure this is, this is clear. So, you know, coming up next month in February, the 30 for 30 on the 2000 Super Bowl winning Ravens is, is premiering through, of course, ESPN's 30 for 30. 
And you and I, as of a couple minutes ago, are going to be sitting down virtually, of course, with the co-directors of the film. So that'll be fun. And I believe we're going to have that out the first week of February. So I know a lot of us have been looking forward to this for a while just because of all the personalities that were on that team. Rest in peace, Goose. He's certainly going to be a vital part. I believe a lot of what he did film-wise was done prior to his passing, which is which should be very, very, uh, you know, special for for a lot of us to to consume. So, again, we will we're going to be sitting down uh, with the co-directors of this Thirty for Thirty, and and can't wait to hopefully you know preview it for everybody and get everybody fired up for what should be a an awesome film. Yeah, I, I I'm super looking forward to that. Um, uh, you know, I love the Thirty for Thirties, and then when it's done on on your on your team that you cover, it, it even takes it to the next, next level. So that'll be fun to cover. We talked about getting Brian McFarland on here. Obviously, we'll continue to have the morning vaults. We will cover this offensive coordinator, you know, search as it continues on. Um, and like you said, I do think we should do do more mailbox bags. Hopefully, we can keep it under an hour next time. But I think they're important to have. Yeah, and feedback can always be written in uh, via email at baltimoreravensvault at gmail As always, hit us up on social media. Sarah can be easily found on Twitter. I am still I am still I am still suspended, of course. So you know, I guess I'll just be chilling. Can't even spit it out, Bobby. You got you, You're still in denial there. It sounds. I know. Like. I am in denial, and I'm like trying to track down Elon Musk. And uh, contrary to popular belief, he's kind of a hard dude to find. So uh, you know, there's <laughs> that. But I am creating content on Instagram. I am on YouTube. I am on Facebook. So I've been very busy. But uh, we're looking forward to continuing this thing going. If you want to hit us up with some feedback, please do so. And uh, subscribe to us on YouTube while you're at it. Coming up on 4,000 subscriptions on The Vault, a podcast covering the Baltimore Ravens. So with that, I'm Bobby Trossett for my co-host, Sarah Ellison. We're signing off on this episode of The Vault. Hope you're enjoying off season, and we will talk to you soon.